Good morning, Saints. When I was growing up, my dad would ask me, who is the most important player on a football team? I immediately blurted out the quarterback. Isn't that obvious? It's the quarterback, Dad. He gently challenged me. Are you sure? Yes, Dad, I'm sure. I'm thinking about Terry Bradshaw at that time. The quarterback's the most important. Then he said, I think it's the center. The center, I asked. He proudly stated, nothing can get started without the center. Now, looking back, I could have used his logic against him and said, then it's the kicker. The kicker's the one who really get things, things started. But he played center in high school and college, so I got his point. We do not always focus on that which is most important. Will you join me today as we focus on God's good news for us in Genesis? We continue our wrestling with the family of Jacob. This is the 10th and final time in Genesis that we hear the phrase, these are the generations of, this is the family of. This family story now takes 14 chapters to unfold and we just get the first glance of it today in our text that we're wrestling with. Hear these words from Genesis, the 37th chapter, beginning in the first four verses. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhal and Zilpah, his brothers' wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his children because he was the son of his old age and he'd made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. Joseph answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they're pasturing the flock. The man said, They've gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and they threw him in a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, 
And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianites traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This is the good news according to Genesis. Thanks be to God. This is a story that could have been ripped straight out of the headlines or an episode of a show that my wife watches, American Greed. Any fans out there, American Greed? The camera pans down on a group of shepherds out watching their flock, but then the camera doesn't focus on the oldest or the strongest. For you see, they are all brothers, or at least half brothers, 12 boys from four different moms. American Greed loves this kind of stuff. The camera focuses in brings a close-up close up to the youngest brother, Joseph. His, knee, his name means God will increase. This should give you some indication of where this story is headed. God will increase. The young man, Joseph, is just 17. You know what I mean? At 17, you have all the answers. You know better than anyone else, at least I did. And he's not even a shepherd. He's just a helper, an assistant shepherd, but I'm sure that's not the way he reported it on his resume or his college application. The other brothers out there that day were all his half-brothers. And we start this story with Joseph sending a bad report about his older brothers to their dad. Joseph is texting his father and, you'll not believe what these guys are doing out here in the field, dad. I've got pictures and I've posted some of them to Instagram so you can check it out, dad. The older brothers have had about enough from this little tattletale. And then in this carefully produced show, we learn that he's not just a tattletale, but he's the father's favorite since he's a child of his father's old age. You would think Jacob would have already learned the perils of favoritism, but he's not. He has not. And then we learn that Joseph wears a very special coat that his father gave him. It is far finer than anything else any of the other brothers have ever seen, let alone owned with extra long sleeves, and in some translations, it's called a coat of many colors. This is worse than the stuff that happens on those Real Housewives shows. You can feel the resentment. You can feel the resentment building. We are told by the narrator that they grew to hate their younger brother, and they wouldn't speak peaceably to him. They would not offer their shalom. They would not offer a sign of peace. Time came to pass the peace, not to this little arrogant imp. And arrogant is a good word to describe Joseph. It literally means I have no questions. I don't have to ask. He already knows everything. He has no questions. At 17, he knows everything already. The older brothers have had it up to here. And then we get the verses that today's lesson skips. I don't know about you, but I'm always curious about why people skip over things 
So let's take a deeper look at what's missing, the missing verses. Verses 5 to 11, if you have your Bible, they contain two dreams that Joseph has, and he shares them without anyone asking. He's like, don't you want to hear my dream? And he says, I was out in the field, and he shared the first dream, and the text says they hated him even more. And then he says, listen to this dream that I've dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright. Then your sheaves gather around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. Are you to indeed reign over us? Are you going to think you're going to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and the way he talked. They hated the way he looked in his fancy robe and his fancy words. Three times in the opening sentences of their family story, their hate is amplified, it's magnified. Now, how does this happen? How does brotherly love turn into brotherly hate? Come on, we're all family, right? Sometimes parents make decisions that don't help and parents don't realize they're doing so. Our oldest children were always ready to point out the advantages their little brother was afforded that they were never given. Then Jacob, Joseph shares a second dream and you want to yell at him or at least take him aside and say, cool it, man. You are already on thin ice with these guys. But he doubles down on his dreams and he shares yet another dream saying to his brothers, look, I've had another dream. The sun, the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now even his dad has had enough. You say the sun and the moon and the 11 stars. We think we know what you mean. Mom and dad and your 11 brothers are going to bow down to you. You think you have all the answers, but we can see through your subtle metaphor, thinking our whole family will bow, bow down to you. We are then told that his brothers were jealous of him. Not only did they hate him, but they had jealousy as the cherry on the top of their hate. And his father kept all this in mind. They hated him for being a tattletale. They hated him for being more arrogant, for being arrogant. They hated him even more because he got nicer things than they did. And they were jealous because he was their father's favorite son. Fast forward. The text does not tell us how long, but the camera shows us the older brothers are about 50 miles north in Shechem watching the flock. So their father sends young Joseph to Shechem in Shechem to bring back another report. It makes me think about sending our boys to Philmont. It was a 50 mile hike and we thought this will make a man out of you. This will test your abilities. Maybe humble you some. So Jacob, Joseph walks the 50 miles from Hebron north to Shechem to where his brothers are supposed to be. He finds no sheep and no brothers, but there is a man in the field that tells him, oh, they went to Alabama. He really says Dothan which is about 14 miles further north of Shechem in Israel, but it makes me think of Alabama. Now the camera shifts to the brother's side of the story and we don't really hear from Joseph again this week. Everything else from here on out happens to Joseph. If you want to know what happens to Joseph, tune in next week, but we don't hear from Joseph again this week. And this is where things start to get ugly. The hatred and the jealousy have been boiling up within his brothers. I'm sure they talked about their snotty younger brother and they must have plotted against him because they see him coming from miles away. They must have been the robe that they could see from such a distance. And they begin talking about what they're going to do. When they see him coming toward them across the fields, they say to each other, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him in a pit. And then let's lie about it 
What happens when we try to cover up our crimes? We can just say a wild animal did it. The crime is bad enough, but what often trips people up in those shows my wife watches is the cover-up, right? It's the cover-up. But the oldest brother knows better. Reuben remembers his lessons. Earlier in Genesis, back in the story of Cain and Abel, the people of God are told that the blood of your brother that you spill will cry out to God from the ground. And he remembers that. And he remembers the story of Noah back in chapter 9 where the people of God were told there will be a reckoning for the spilling of another human's blood. So Reuben says, we got to do something different. And sometimes it takes one person, one bold person in the crowd to stop everyone from being their worst. Reuben is the oldest and he says, let's not kill him. Great idea. Let's just throw him in a pit. Bad idea. He's almost doing the right thing is still not doing the right thing. Amen? Reuben says that this out loud, but he's thinking to himself, if we put him in the pit, I can rescue him from the pit, take him back to dad and re regain some of my father's favor. So they strip him of the robe. They hate as much as they hate Joseph and they throw Joseph into this deep cistern, this pit, a place designed to collect water. But the detail is that there's no water in it because they weren't drowning him. They just throw him into this deep pit. And then they go have a picnic. Now that's cold. It's just cold. And the picnic seems to be far enough away from the pit that they don't have to listen to his cries and screams. If we could just avoid the cries and the screams of those in the pit of life, maybe they'll just go away. Maybe we won't have to worry about it anymore. The camera doesn't seem to focus back on Joseph, but I see that Eric and 17 year old there in the pit all by himself. He's having to rethink some things. This one who thought he knew everything, who had all the answers. And I believe there in the pit, he begins to form some questions. Who am I? Who do I wanna be? What do I want to be? What about my dreams? He's wrestling in the pit like his father wrestled, wrestling with himself. Maybe for the first time in his life, he's had to deal with resistance since he'd always been the baby. You ever found yourself in that pit? The pit is not an easy place to be, whether you did something to deserve it or someone else put you there. The pit, it means hitting bottom, that down place where we have to come to grips with ourselves. You might remember that scene from West Wing. Any West Wing fans out there? It's between Josh and Leo. Josh has cut his hand and has not told the truth about how he did it. He's just been confronted with his deception and there in the pit is trying to decide who he wants to be. He walks out with a bandage on his hand and Leo tells him a story. It's often a better way to help people, to share a story. Leo says, there was a guy who fell into a hole and after some time in the hole trying to get out by himself, he couldn't because the walls were too high. He started crying for help and a doctor walked by and the guy in the pit says, can you help me? And the doctor stops and writes out a prescription and drops it into the hole. A lot of help that was. A priest walks by and the guy yells, father, can you help me? And the priest writes out a blessing and drops that down in the hole. Then a friend walks by and the guy in the pit yells, can you help me? And the friend immediately jumps down in the hole. Why did you do that? Now we're both stuck here in the hole. And the friend says, I've been in this hole before and I know the way out. Isn't that what friends do? Joseph's time in the pit has to be a formational experience for him. That time of uncertainty and self-examination, will I be rescued? What will become of my dreams? Maybe people don't really like me after all. 
Spending time in the pit of life will give you perspective, won't it? Being down in the pit is often a time where we learn to rely on something other than ourselves. We tend to look to God when we're in the pit, seeking help and strength. And sure enough, God is there in the pit with us. The God who emptied himself and joined us in this world. As you remember, Joseph's name means God will increase. Well, that can only happen when there's less of arrogant Joe and more of God in his being. Something really happens to Joseph in the pit. Psalm 40 echoes here. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. If you're feeling like this is a time of being in the pit for you, Psalm 40 might be a good psalm for you to read and pray in the days ahead. I commend it to you. While Joseph is down in the pit, his brothers are enjoying their picnic lunch and they see a group of Ishmaelites traders headed south. And here we go again. One of the brothers sees a better way out of this dilemma. Rather than leaving their brother in the pit to die, they can sell him and make a profit. Sell your brother into slavery and make a profit. Can you believe brothers would do such a thing to brothers? And then what happens is I think the funniest part of this terrible story. Another group of travelers comes by and they fish Joseph out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites, bypassing the profit motive of his brothers. The brothers don't even get to make a profit from their conniving. And depending on the translation, you have to wrestle with whether it's the brothers who sold him into slavery or the other traders who did. You know what they got for that young assistant shepherd? 20 pieces of silver. Do you hear the echo later? where Joseph's son is betrayed for 30 pieces of silver? What is the price of human life? A group of Bible translators were faced with a dilemma. They were trying to communicate the meaning of the scriptures to a tribe that didn't seem to have a word for faith. One of the brilliant translators finally came up with this translation, to lean your whole weight on. Faith is leaning your whole weight on God and not leaning on yourself. A humble place of leaning for in those lean times when we find ourselves in the pit, you can't rely on yourself. You can't always see what is happening in the world around you when you are down so deep in the pit. So you have two options. You can keep looking in the pit, keep looking at what your circumstance is, or you can look up, look up and live. God didn't put Joseph in the pit, but God sure didn't leave Joseph in the pit. Joseph still holds on to God's dreams for him, even there in the pit. There is deliverance from the pit for you. You might not feel like that right now, but you are not alone in the pit. There are fellow travelers who will help lift you out. Before you've been in the pit of life, we often think that we can be self-reliant. We think we can lean on ourselves, but that's just an easy way to fall. And I know this to be true, that after people have been in the pit and been delivered by God's grace, they are able to do justice to leading. They're able to love more mercifully and they're more able to live and walk humbly with their God by leaning their whole weight on God. Years ago, Bill Withers was traveling home to West Virginia after being stationed in Pensacola, Florida. I imagined he was somewhere close to Dothan 
when he blew a tire and had no spare. He was stranded there in South Alabama, a long way from home. And then he said this guy who looked like he'd come straight out of the movie Deliverance showed up. And he said, what are you doing here? And he told him he had a flat tire and had no spare. And the fellow said, stay right there. And he just left. Bill Withers said it was more than a bit disconcerting. He was pretty nervous and he, to have taken that pitfall in that rural area. But he said the fellow came back and with very few words and little fanfare repaired the tire and sent Bill Withers safely on his way home. In recollection of that experience, that time of uncertainty in the pit, Withers pinned, Withers penned these words. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if you are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. And Christ says to each of us, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Please swallow your pride if you have things you need to borrow. For no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. You just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. May we find strength from God and one another when we find ourselves in the pits of life. And may we lean our whole weight on you, O God, for strength upon strength. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.